We'd like to begin tonight in 1 Samuel chapter 27. And uh, the last five chapters of 1 Samuel is chapters 27 through 31. Uh, chapters, uh, chapter 28 and chapter 30 uh, pertains almost exclusively to Saul. Uh, chapters 27, 29, and 31 well, will apply, or well, 30 rather, will apply to David. And this, these chapters begin to bring uh, to a conclusion David's life as a fugitive as he's been on the run for a long period of time, for several years, with Saul, of course, the king of Israel, pursuing him. When we concluded a couple weeks ago in chapter 26, we see uh, David, as he has most of the time, displaying great faith and trust in the Lord. Uh, we find he had two occasions where he could have took the life of Saul, but he would not touch the Lord's anointed. And he showed, uh, again, uh, great spirit and attitude about this and great respect for the office uh, of the king of Israel. And God blessed him immensely. We find in the 26th chapter, again, the, prior to where we're going to look at tonight in the beginning, where David uh, declared three things that he thought could happen to Saul. One, God would slay him. Two, he would die simply of natural causes. And three, he would die on the battlefield. Now we know, at that time David didn't, but we know, because we have the Bible and the record, that Saul wouldn't die the third way on the battlefield. And it's going to take place a very short time after what we're going to read here in chapter 27. Now we know that, but David doesn't know that. But there's a lesson in that. You know, in the book of James in chapter 1, we read where uh, we can have or go through divers temptations. That means divers trials. Uh, divers means many and varied. But as we do, we are to let patience have her perfect work. And we're going to find this lacking in David's life at this particular time. This chapter starts off in a way that is just bewildering as we have studied the life of David. Notice how it says in 1 Samuel 27, 1, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul, and that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hand. Now we notice here that David uses the word I three times. And as I've spoken to you in times past, when you start using the word I, that's a bad disease to have. That's a bad spiritual affliction to have when you're using the word I. So David uses it three times. And it says that David trusted in his heart. He said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. I asked the question tonight, who told him that? Why would he reach that conclusion? He just said just a day or two before that Saul will die in battle, he'll die a natural death, or God shall slay him. This statement goes contrary to the promise that God had made unto him. God had promised to make David king. If Saul slays David, that promise is not fulfilled. So it goes contrary to it. There's no proof. There is no evidence that he be slain by Saul. So why would he say this? And it says, and David said in his heart, that's, that's the wrong place to go for advice. Never go to your heart for advice. Never go to your heart for counsel. We read over 
in the book of Jeremiah 17, 9, where Jeremiah tells us that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's deceitful above all things. He's talking about the heart of human nature. Your heart will deceive you. The heart is deceitful. It is desperately wicked and deceitful of all, of all things. Who can know it? That means who can put their trust in it. You cannot rely upon your heart. Proverbs 29, 26, Solomon says, He that trusteth in his heart is a fool. Now this is what David's doing right here. David is doing something very foolishly. He says in his own heart, he's speaking to his heart. And it's his heart that's telling him one day he will perish at the hand of Saul. David is about to take a step that's not going to be a step of faith. That's going to be a step by sight. Now we either travel by faith or we travel by sight. And the main difference is when you travel by faith, you trust the Lord. When you travel by sight, you trust yourself. When you travel by faith, you use the eyes God gave you when he born you the Spirit of God. When you trust, or when you walk by sight, you use these eyes right here. These eyes look at the circumstances of life. You begin to come up with your own plan. That's what David did right here. He said within his heart, he's trusting in something that's desperately wicked. He's trusting in something uh, that Solomon says a man that does it is a fool. In Proverbs 3 and 5, Solomon said, trust, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to your own understanding. David is about to lean upon his own understanding. Now normally when I quote that, I quote it from the positive perspective. You know, I try to encourage the Lord's people to trust in the Lord with all your heart. What will be the result of that? God shall direct your path. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. David's not going to do this. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. If you do not acknowledge him in all your ways, if you don't trust in him in all your heart, then that means you're leaning on your own understanding and you have no assurance, no promise of God that he will direct your path. God is not directing the path that David's about to take. David is not beginning to take a step by faith. He's beginning to take a step by sight. Now, in the book of Hebrews 10, the last, last verse in Hebrews chapter 10, 1031, I think, it says, the just shall live by faith. That's recorded three times in the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. But it says, he that draweth back, the Lord said, I'll have no pleasure in him. The Lord has no pleasure when we walk by sight rather than by faith. Hebrews eleven six. without faith it's impossible to please God. What David is thinking, what David is saying, what David is about to do is not going to please God. God is displeased with this. God is not in it. And if you notice in reading this chapter, we find no example of David praying. David is not looking for divine guidance. David is making up his own plan. He's looking at the circumstances. He's making his own plan. The mistake he makes, he leaves God out of it. He's not going to walk by faith. He's going to walk by sight. Now, <clears throat> this is the same man we've been preaching about that slew a lion and a bear in his own hands and rescued a lamb that they'd taken out of the flock. This is the same man that slew Goliath. This is the same man that fought the battle of the Philistines in one time and time and time again. This is the same man that displayed courage and strength, was very valiant, 
This is the same man that we've seen where God was with him time and time again. Had God delivered him from Saul, delivered him to the Philistines, delivered him from Goliath. It, it's the same man. But it doesn't seem like it, does it? So why would David do this now? Well, he did it because he's a man. <laughs> he did it because he's a man. Psalms 39.5 says, Man in his best state is altogether vanity. If man is altogether vanity in his best state, what would he be in his worst state? You ever think about things like that? <laughs> if he's altogether vanity in his best state. We all have a human nature. We have to contend with on a regular basis. So, you know, the best of men are men at best. And to understand what that really means is to understand man's nature and the depravity of man. We're seeing the very worst of David right here in the beginning of this chapter. He says within his own heart, Surely I will perish at the hand of Saul one day. So the best thing for me to do is to speedily get away here and go into the land of the Philistines. The Philistines were the perennial enemies of, of Israel. He's about to join forces with an enemy that he has done battle with himself numerous times. He's about to seek refuge in a land that belonged to Goliath the giant that he slew. He's seeking a sanctuary among the Lord's enemies. Well, you know, when, when you start walking by sight, you do all kind of irrational things. You do things that's unexplainable. You look back and you think, well, what was I thinking? Well, why would I have done that? Because you took your eyes off the Lord. Begin <clears throat> to walk by sight and stood of faith. That's why we read in Romans 15, 4, the things written aforetime, right here, was written for our learning. And we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. We read in Hosea 8, 7, For he that soweth to the wind shall reap the whirlwind. David is sowing right now to the wind, and when it's all over, he's going to reap the whirlwind. When you read these kind of things, you will always find an example in the Word of God. Any truth, any principle, my friends, you find recorded in God's Word, you should be able to find a biblical example, and you should find, be able to find a real-life example. Uh, that's, that's the evidence that you've got a proper interpretation of what you just read and an understanding of the text. So David says, In his heart I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. He says, This is what I'm going to do. And so he leaves. He and he's got 600 men. He's got two wives at this particular time. And they go into Achish, which is the king of Gath. Now this is the second time he's done this. <laughs> Man my, just has a hard time learning lessons. This second time he's done this. Go back to the 21st chapter. You find he fled for the fear of Saul. The fear of men will cause you to do irrational things, make bad decisions, exercise bad judgment. He, he fled to Gath, to Achash, the king, on that occasion. And as soon as he got there, we find where the Philistines looked at him and says, Is this not David? Who They sang this song that Saul slayed his thousands, David his ten thousands. And when David heard them say that, fear gripped him, and he made like he was a madman. He scrabbled on the door. It means he made marks on the door. His spittle fell from his mouth. And the king, when he saw all that, he thought, well, I'm looking at a madman. That's exactly what David wanted him to think. And the king says, away with this fellow. I have no place for a fellow like that. And David was able actually to escape. The Lord was very merciful to him on that occasion. So now he does it. Again, you see, 
So he goes into land, does what he says, and in the beginning it seems like it's working. And then that's always watch out for that. When you take a wrong step, it may seem like it's the right step for a while, but if it's a walk by sight and a walk not by faith, it won't be too much longer that reality will set in. So he goes to the Philistines and is told Saul, look at verse 4, it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath and then he sought no more again for him. Well, that's what David wanted. He wanted to go down there. The word to get back to Saul. Saul would leave him alone. That's exactly what happened. But you know, I read about a man by the name of Jonah one time where the Lord called and instructed him to go to Nineveh to preach. Jonah didn't want to go. So he went down to the sea. He found a ship. There was a place on the ship. He had enough money to buy a ticket. He got on the ship. The ship set sail, and he goes down to the bottom of the ship, and everything's going so smooth, he just goes to sleep. He wound up with the nickname Old Sleeper. But one long, a great storm came upon that sea, and you know the rest of the story, don't you? <laughs> you know what happened to Jonah? He wound up being cast overboard into the sea, and there was a great fish. God prepared a whale, and the whale swallowed up Jonah. He winds up being the belly of a whale for three days and three nights at the very bottom of the sea. And then when he finally confessed salvation was of the Lord, the whale spit him up on dry land. Then he decided, you know, it's probably better if I just do what the Lord told me. Right now, it seems like everything's okay. But it's not going to be. And when he first gets there, we find where David is going to stoop to deception and dishonesty. And that's the problem when you take a step in the wrong direction. One thing leads to another. You're going to find where David is going to go against his own people. So he speaks to the king about giving him a city that he was not worthy to live in such a royal city. And the king's going to give him a city called Ziklag, about 25 miles from where he was at. This would be the perfect base for David. David and his men, 600 men, his two wives, will live 25 miles away. He'll be out of sight. That's what David wanted. And also, he minimized the threat that he might have or the king might view of him, you know, of being in his own, uh, there in his own city with all these men. Plus, uh, the king was probably glad for him to go somewhere else because that was going to tax them in terms of taking care of 600 men, David and his two wives. So he gives him Ziklag, again, about 25 miles away. David's going to be in the land of the Philistines for a year and four months. So 16 months he's going to be in this land. And after a while, we find where David goes out and he engages in battle with three different people. Now notice who they are. He invaded the Gershonites and the Jezrites and the Amalekites, from whose nations were of old, the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest assure, even into the land of Egypt. And he wins these battles, and he destroys everybody in these battles. He takes no person alive. He destroys men, women, and children, and takes their spoils. Of course, the spoils help feed his men and his army. And this is unknown to the king of Gath. It's unknown to him. And then David returns and the king asks him what he's been doing and he doesn't deny he hadn't been in battle but he, didn't tell, he doesn't tell him who. He just tells him in a certain area and the king thinks he's been fighting against his enemies when in reality he's been fighting against the allies of the king of the Philistines. He deceived the king. Now he deceived him so much and this is quite uh, intriguing to me how the king of the Philistines, you know, could actually believe David. 
David had fought many battles against the Philistines. He knew, no doubt he knew about him slaying Goliath. But yet he believed David. Notice how chapter 27 comes to an end. And Achish believed David, saying, He hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him. Therefore he shall be my servant forever. He's quite convinced that David is sincere. David has lied to him. David has deceived him. David is not who he said he is, so to speak. You think, this just simply can't be the same man. We've been studying. It is, it's the same man. Again, it shows us how weak man is, how frail man is, how sinful man is, and what man is apart from God. Go back and read chapter 17 when David fights Goliath. And notice the language of David. It was for the honor of God in God's name that David fought that battle. It wasn't for his own honor. He went in the name of the Lord. And God blessed him to miraculously slay that giant. And David gave all the praise and all the honor and all the glory unto him. Now, I was thinking, you know, this chapter here, chapter 27, is not going to be one of those uplifting chapters. Chapter 17 is one of those uplifting chapters when you preach to people about David and Goliath. Every time you read that story, every time you hear it preach, it ought to lift your spirit. See what a man can do when he depends upon the Lord. But here's what a man can't do when he doesn't depend upon the Lord. When he's walking by sight, he's not walking by faith. When he's looking at the circumstances of life, just like Abraham. What happened to Abraham in Genesis 12 when a famine came in the land? What did Abraham do? He went down into Egypt. He didn't go by faith down in Egypt. He went because of a famine in the land. And had not God intervened on his behalf, it would have been quite disastrous. But God intervened. He spared Abraham and Sarah. He uh, protected her honor down there, didn't allow her to be defiled down there in the land of Egypt, and brought them back out of there, you see. Now what's going to happen to David? He's going to spend 16 months in the land of the Philistines. He now has allied himself to be with the king of the Philistines. He's a Hebrew, but he's pretending basically to be a Philistine. It's incredible. It's amazing. The only way you could understand something like this is to understand what the Bible teaches about man's nature and understand man's depravity. Apart from God, we're nothing, yea, less than nothing. Apart from God, we're weak, we're frail, we're unsuccessful. God's not pleased with us. You see David drawing back. David is not walking by faith. Now the 28th chapter deals with Saul and the witch of Ondor. And we're going to hop over that. Now let's go to chapter 29. Verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek, and the Israelites pitched by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed on by hundreds and by thousands. But David and his men passed on in the rearward with Achish. David and his men are now in the army of the Philistines. They're marching and planning to do battle with David's people, the Israelites. David's got himself in a fix. David's got himself in a mess. He's pretended to be a Philistine, basically, and you'll find where, if you go back, actually to chapter 28, notice this in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for warfare to fight with Israel. And Achish said unto David, Know thou assuredly that thou shalt go out with me to battle thou and thy men. Wonder what David thought. 
about that. He didn't, he didn't intend to get into that. But he's got the confidence, this king so much, the king says, we're going to battle against Israel, and you and your men are coming with us. Wonder what he thought. And then listen to this. And David said to Achan, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. David is, is, is trying his best not to give himself away. And Achan said to David, Therefore will I make thee keeper of mine head forever. You know what that means? He says, You're going to be my bodyguard, David. You're going to be the chief bodyguard of those that's going to protect me. Again, it's, 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 it's kind of hard to imagine what could have been going through the mind of David. I, I wonder if he thought, Why did I ever come down here? How did I get myself in this fix? How did I get myself in this mess? i got to be the king's bodyguard of all people. And, and, and me and my men, 600 men, these are valiant men. And, and now he's drafted us into the army, and we're about to go out and fight against my own people. And you know who that would include? Jonathan, his close friend. He's about to face off with Jonathan, his dear friend. And David also has three oldest his three oldest brothers in this army. He's going to have to fight against family. Against the closest friend he ever had in this life. That's what he's facing right here. Now I'm going to tell you something. God didn't abandon David like David abandoned God. Up to this point here, David has abandoned God. He's walking by sight and not by faith. He's talking his own self. He's relying on his own heart. He's acting the part of a fool right now. Hardly seems like the same man, but it is. That's why you should never put any man on too high of a, of a you know, a, a hill or a mountain or whatever. Because, again, he's just a man. So David's in a fix. He's in a mess. What's going to happen here? Let's go back to chapter 29. David is going to move, I think, into the minds and hearts of the lords of the Philistines to take notice of this. They're lining up to do battle. And the lords of the Philistines look out there and they see David and his 600 men in the army. Now they're coming up in, in the rear along with the king. David, remember, now is the bodyguard of the king. And they don't trust David. They don't trust David. They don't feel comfortable with David and his men being in this army. And they shouldn't have. But it's still amazing how loyal the king is to David. How David could have persuaded this king to be this confident in David is, is beyond me. I mean, the Philistines and Israelites have been enemies for years and years and years and years. They knew, they had heard about how Saul had pursued David. And that's the only thing I can think of, that Saul uh, is pursuing David. And they probably got the report that David was the enemy of Saul. If he's the enemy of Saul, they've been the enemy of Israel. And he's persuaded that David stinks in the sight of the Israelites. In fact, that's what the word means as I read back a while ago. He's persuaded of that. And it's going to take some persuasion by the lords of the Philistines, that is the captains, the generals, so to speak, the leaders of his army, to convince him not to bring David along. Notice what it says. Verse 3, Then said the princes of the Philistines, What do these Hebrews here? What, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said unto the prince of the Philistines, Is not this David the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, which hath been with me these days or these years, sixteen months? And I found no fault in him since he fell unto me unto this day. 
And the prince of the Philistines were wroth with him, and the prince of the Philistines said unto him, Make this fellow return, that he may go again to his place, which thou hast appointed him, which is Ziklag. Let him not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he be an adversary to us. For wherewith should he reconcile himself unto his master, should it not be with the heads of these men? They said, you can't trust this man. We get into battle and all of a sudden he reconciles himself back with the Israelites and now they, he and his men turn out to be an adversary. They're not fighting for us, they're fighting against us. It all made really good sense. Is this not David, of whom they sang one to another in dances, saying, Saul slew his thousands and David his ten thousand. They remembered that song. That song had got all the way into the camps of the Philistines, hadn't it? Saul is slain his thousands. David is ten thousands. It's the same man. This is the second time they brought this to the attention of the king. Now the first time David was so fearful, you know, he acted the role of a madman and got away. But now he's been in the land for 16 months. And somehow, some way, he's persuaded this king that he's genuine, he's sincere, and he'll be his bodyguard. And he says, you know what I can do? I can be a plus in your army. Now I don't believe David ever meant that from his heart. But David don't know really what else to say. Have you been there? <laughs> Have you got yourself such a fix that you just didn't really know what to say? You know, no matter what you said, it was going to incriminate yourself. And now it's a somebody. Then Achash called David and said unto him, Surely as the Lord liveth, thou hast been upright, and thou going out and thou coming in with me, and the, and the host is good in my sight. He don't know how David has fooled him and deceived him. For I have not found evil in thee since the day of thy coming into me and to this day. Nevertheless, the Lord's favor thee not. Wherefore, return now and go in peace that thou displease not the lords of the Philistines. And then David said to Achish, But what have I done? And what hast thou found in thy servant so long as I have been with thee and to this day that I may not go fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Well, the enemies of the king here is his own people. I think David's just trying to do the best he can not to blow his cover, so to speak. <laughs> and Achish answered and said, David, I know thou art good in my sight as an angel of God, notwithstanding the prince of the Philistines said he shall not go with us into the battle. Wherefore now rise up early in the morning with thy master's servants that have come with thee, and as soon as you... As soon as ye be up early in the morning, and have light, depart. So David and his men rose up early, depart in the morning, turned to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. In God's amazing providence, God has separated David and his men from the Philistine army. The king knows nothing any different. God has not abandoned David. God's promised to David he was going to be the king of Israel. He's going to be the king of Israel. Despite his shortcomings, despite uh, his weaknesses, despite his errors in, in judgment, and his going and looking to his own heart rather than to the God of Israel, God is still there to take care of him. I tell you, God's took care of me, and I know God's taking care of you. And there's been times I know, no doubt, we've all acted foolishly. We've looked to the flesh rather than to the Lord. We've looked to our own selves rather than to God. Just like David, these things are written for our learning. Once again, we benefit by studying this man's life right here. David couldn't do this. We might do it as well. Remember what happened to Elijah? 
After Elijah seen the great power of God, when he prayed it wouldn't rain, didn't rain for three and a half years, prayed it wouldn't rain, it didn't, it didn't rain. He saw fire come down from out of heaven and, and destroy and consume the offering he had made where the false gods of Baal had prayed, you know, and they called upon their God, hadn't got any response or any answer. God, Elijah just prays one time, fire comes down and consumes it all. He then went on top of the mountain and God sent a great rain. I mean, you couldn't have had any more evidence of the great power of God and, and, and everything that Elijah had in his life. And then he slew 350 false, or 400, I think, false prophets of Baal. I mean, what more can you ask for? And then Jezebel says, sends a message to him, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to have your life. And David flees. He goes into a mountain, on the top of a mountain on the juniper tree, sits down, and he prays that God might take his life away. You know, this old world we live in here can beat you down. This old world right here can treat you in such a manner, in such a way, that you become weary along the way that we might faint. But there's a way to keep from fainting, isn't it? We looked at this uh, uh, last Sunday to some extent in Luke chapter 18. When the Lord said, I would that all men would pray or pray always and not to faint. David didn't pray. <laughs> David didn't pray. How many Psalms have I given you as we studied David's life where David wrote concerning these experiences related directly to him? You know how many Psalms David wrote concerning this experience? Zero. <laughs> Zero up to this point. Zero. He didn't pray. No psalms are written. He's walking by sight. He's walking according to the flesh. He hasn't prayed to God. He hasn't looked for divine direction or divine assistance up to this point. So they return, and he returns rejected. The Philistine army rejected him. And he and his men return. Notice what happened while they're away. This shows that David, David was known as a great leader, but not on this occasion. A great leader would have known we cannot leave the camp and go with the Philistines to battle without leaving a garrison of soldiers right here to protect it. But he didn't do that. And so the Amalekites, who are also a chief enemy of the Israelites, had come and destroyed the city of Ziklag and burned it down with fire all the way. And they had taken all the families of the men of Israel in David's own family, his two wives. They took them and the spoils and everything else. They got back there, the, the camp is empty, the city is burned down. Everybody's been taken away. And we see the result of that in verse 3. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. You want to see something marvelous about the providence of God right here? When David went into, uh, when David was going into battle back there, we mentioned a little earlier, the Amalekites was one of the ones he did battle with. David destroyed all the people. In this case here, the Amalekites come in revenge. They burn the city down, but they don't slay one. David's two wives are okay. The fam families, all those men, they're all okay. They took them all captive, took them all hostage, but they didn't slay a one. I, I think that's pretty interesting. How that God restrained them from doing that. When David and the people that were with him lifted up their voices and wept till they had no more power to weep. You, you can tell what great distress that they're in. They've wept and they've wept and they want to weep more but no tears will come. All the tears that they could possibly weep have come 
and no more tears can flow. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him. These are men right here that when he wished for a drink of water from the wells of Bethlehem, risked their lives to go down there and get a drink of water for him, risked their lives to do it and bring that drink of water back to him. These are the same men. Now talking about stoning him. They've lost confidence in him and his leadership. They've lost their families, they've lost their goods. And David is greatly distressed. He now feels himself to be right by himself. And you know why? Because he is. David is right by himself. But here we're going to find something special about this man. Even though he's walked this way, according to the flesh, according to sight, made these bad decisions, used such terrible judgment, did the unthinkable, made a great compromise, do you realize what a compromise David has made right here in going and aligning himself up with, with in, the enemies of Israel that have been enemies for years and years and years? He reminds me of Peter. When Peter told the Lord he would go with him even unto death. And the Lord said, The cock shall not crow twice, do you deny me thrice? And where do we find Peter? We find him warming himself by the enemy's fire. The very ones who've just took his Lord and Master, he's warming himself by fire that they've made. And then we find where he was pointed out three different times of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He denied him three straight times and the cock crew twice. And Peter felt great condemnation because he compromised. He joined up on the side of the enemy there for a while, you see. And so we find this to be the case of David. What did David do? The very same thing that you need to do. The very same thing I need to do. David encouraged himself in the Lord. <clears throat> Let's look at the word courage just a minute. C-O-U-R-A-G-E, the word courage. Now, in front of courage, you can put E-N, which means encourage. Or you can put D-I-S, which means discourage. Now you've got courage in both statements, right? Courage in both words. So what do you do with courage? You try to be encouraged or discouraged. <laughs> A lot of our decisions are going to determine whether we're encouraged or discouraged. E-N versus D-I-S. I like, to spell, I like it spelled better when it's E-N, don't you? And put an E-D on the end of it. Encouraged, discouraged. Now I've experienced both and you have too. Now, uh, which makes you feel better, to be discouraged <laughs> or encouraged? David encouraged himself in the Lord. And we're not told exactly how. I think I got a little insight to it. I, I think I can uh, put it forth a pretty good educated guess how he encouraged himself in the Lord. I imagine he probably thought back. You know, when I went out there, I thought I was a pretty good, brave fella when I slew that bear in that line. But the truth of the matter is, God helped me do it. And I thought I was really brave when I went out against Goliath the giant. But you know what? <laughs> it was God who directed that stone that came out of my sling. I have no doubt about it. And the times I went out to do battle against the Philistines, it was the Almighty God that brought me back safely and victorious. And then when I acted so foolishly, when I acted so unwise in doing what I've just done, God has still spared me. And I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. He's my strength. He's my fortress. He is my high tower. All the things that David wrote, I believe, my friends, he's thinking about all those things. He encouraged himself in the Lord. 
and all the deliverances God had given unto him, all the battles he enabled him to win. And that's the way you can encourage yourself. And I can encourage myself. Instead of looking at the very circumstances of life and start to walk by sight, I need to walk by faith. I need to remember how God took care of me 40 years ago, 60 years ago. I need to think about how God has delivered me along the highways of travel. How the Lord has blessed me abundantly uh, beyond anything I could ever deserve here in this world. And when I begin to think about those kind of things, the next thing you know, I start feeling better. I start having my spirits lifted up. Uh, I start getting my eyes off my pitiful situation. I start getting my eyes off the circumstances of life. I get my eyes looking up and I think about the victorious Lord and Savior of my life who conquered death, conquered sin, and the grave and has promised to come out and get me one day. Well, you next thing you know, I don't even think I have a problem. <laughs> I don't even think I have a problem. I went from having a multitude of problems to no problems. I went out of the hospital day at Skyline after seeing Sister Eva Hanbury, and I was met by a man in a wheelchair uh, uh, rolling himself backwards. And so I got to the door, there was a woman on crutches. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that, that pain I've been having in my hip, you know, and the spinal stenosis, it ain't nothing. <laughs> it's just nothing. You know, you've got to see things like that. So David encouraged himself in the Lord. That's the first thing he did. And then verse 8, David inquired the Lord and said, shall I pursue after this troop? Now, David's not going to take a step this time without asking the Lord first. <laughs> That's walking by faith, brother. Shall I overcome them? And he answered him, pursue, and thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. He said, you go after them and I'm guaranteeing you a victory. You recover them all. What an answer of prayer that is. You know, when Saul inquired of the Lord, you know what the Bible says? The Lord answered him not. The Lord didn't give Saul an answer. He gives David an answer. Even after all this, he gives David an answer. And David went. He went to the promise of those words. Those were promising words, wasn't he? He and the 600 men were with him, and they came to a brook, and I'm going to summarize this here. David pursued his 400 men. He left 200 behind because they was too faint to go over the brook. But now, how do they know where to go? Well, lo and behold, they run across an Egyptian slave. And this Egyptian hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days. He tells David that he was a, a servant of an Amalekite. And he left him for dead. And David says, can you tell us where they're at? He says, if you'll promise not to slay me, I'll take you right to them. <laughs> and he took them right to them. And when he got there, you know what they were doing? They were partying. They were celebrating. They were eating. They were drinking. They were celebrating their great victory and what they had accomplished in taking revenge upon David. And knew not that David and his men had now come to the camp. And David and 400 of those 600 men entered that camp and from the twilight to the evening of the day. They slew them. What did God promise David? Thou shalt recover all. Notice what we see, find twice here. And David smote them from the twilight even to the evening the next day, and there escaped not a man of them save 400 young men which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. There was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything they had taken to them. David recovered all. Does that remind you of somebody that David is a picture and type of? Does that remind you of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
When he left heaven's pure world, he came here on the promise of the Father. He came here to do the Father's will. And that Father's will was that he would recover all. He would not lose a one. John 6, 37, all the Father giveth me shall come to me. John chapter 17, the Lord prays a high priestly prayer to the Father. He says, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to all that thou hast given unto him. He's going to recover all. That's what old Baptists preach. That's what we preach concerning the doctrine of grace. That when Jesus Christ hung upon the cross, made an offering and a sacrifice, it applied to all, all that the Father gave unto him, all whom Jesus died for, he arose for, he will come back for, without the loss of one. There's not one person Jesus died for that will not spend eternity in heaven. Now, how can you do anything better than that? I don't understand it. Uh, <laughs> when people, you know, uh, misunderstand the doctrine of grace, how can you get any better than that? Everyone whom Jesus died for, which is a number out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, no man can number, that the Father gave to the Son. The Son died for them, the Son redeemed them, justified them, reconciled them, paid the atonement price. He recovered all. We were lost. He recovered all. Aren't you glad that's the theme of the gospel? He recovered all. <laughs> he didn't recover some. He recovered all. <laughs> Not one left behind. He recovered all. And then you know what David did? You read the rest of the chapter. David divided the spoil with the 400 men went with him. He then gave an equal share to the 200 men who were so faint they couldn't go. And that was to the objection of some of them in David's army. But David didn't pay any attention to them. He said, every man shall share and shall share alike. And then you'll read a long list of people that you hadn't read about before. That God did not have it pinned down, no record of, where David had gone to numerous places. It must be 10 or 12 places here where David sent spoils to all the people that had helped him in his journey when he was a fugitive, when he would go from location to location, there were people apparently that hid him and fed him and took care of him, and David never forgot them. Shared with all of them. Can you imagine, here you are, and all of a sudden here comes some messengers from David, and they got some spoils, some, you know, some things you weren't expecting. David says, I appreciate what you've done for me. When you did it in your life, could have been in danger, but you helped me, and I appreciate it. I appreciate it. That's how we ought to be. That's how we ought to be people that are very sharing because God Almighty has shared with us his son. And I close in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ.